CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, it's Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. It's The Hash. You're watching us. It's awesome. We got Will Foxley. We got Wendy O. We got Jen Sanasi. We got a lot of crypto news to get to. Never a dull day over here. Some fresh spice, some fresh flavor to the SEC versus Coinbase saga, starting with Wendy. Happy Monday. First off, I'm happy to be here. It's Media Monday. Will, you look very nice today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you. You look nice. Um, Thanks for dressing up for us, Will. Yeah, we, we you know, didn't I'm have to. You know, wearing a white shirt, white background, so got a yeah. black shirt on. <laughs> you didn't have to. So I feel like we should start counting every time I sigh on the show and see if we can continue to beat the day before's count. But anyways, we have to talk about this story and I just can't stop laughing at it because it's absolutely, utterly ridiculous. Apparently, the SEC had asked Coinbase to stop trading everything besides Bitcoin. And quick recap of what is actually happening, ladies and gentlemen. The SEC charged Coinbase with violating federal securities laws, alleged it was operating as a broker exchange and clearinghouse for unregistered securities, 13 crypto assets, but not Bitcoin. Coinbase also offers over 200 different tokens besides Bitcoin. So they just kind of took a dart and threw it at 13 and called them um, unregistered securities. Coinbase said that the SEC's actions violated due process and constitutes in an abuse of discretion. And the latest, the SEC asked them to stop trading all cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin prior to suing the exchange. So it's kind of not news, but it is news, but it is. Also, probably the biggest thing for me here is that coin shares fell around 10% on this news. Price has since recovered. But to me, that kind of sounds like a market manipulation. It kind of sounds that the SEC shouldn't have approved Coinbase's application to go public if they were going to slam their entire business model in the future. But what do I know? I'm just an idiot on the internet. I want to say Zach's hand was up first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this, you know, first of all, this is all attributed to Brian Armstrong, right? CEO saying this. Definitely sort of an escalation, I think, in the war of words between SEC Chair Gary Gensler and uh, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong. But this definitely like lends some credence to what people in the space had been hearing out of the SEC and Gary Gensler's personal view that all things but Bitcoin were not uh, were securities, right? And I think maybe we're hearing this from Brian Armstrong, you know, because there's a little bit of uh, counterfactuals now. Gary Gensler's a stance that all things that are not Bitcoin are securities is not looking so great in the wake of the Ripple judgment. 
in which that judge at least said, hey, and it's not the assets themselves, it's the, the nature of the transaction in which those assets are involved, right? So suddenly, that public statement that SEC Chair Gary Gensler has made is not looking so great. So I can understand why Brian Armstrong may see this as an opportune time to put this out there into the public record. So I think that is just worth situating this story in the context of that fight. And also, again, the Ripple decision, which many in the industry saw as not just a partial victory for Ripple, but a partial victory for the bigger fight and potentially for Coinbase, right? So I think that's the context in which these comments should be viewed. But obviously, there's all sorts of other stuff to touch on. Uh, I'll toss it straight to Jen on that, actually. Yeah, I can see why firms in the US are confused when I read these comments from Brian Armstrong. You know, he says that the SEC asked them to delist everything except Bitcoin. And then we have the actual lawsuit brought by the SEC where everything except Bitcoin was not listed as a security. I think there were about a dozen tokens listed there. And so that's already contradictory. I want to get the SEC's comments in that were noted in the Financial Times article. They said in the course of an investigation, the staff may may share its own view as to what conduct may raise questions for the commission under the securities law. Uh, I think that's interesting, right? So they're saying each individual um, person from the SEC can share their own views, but that may not be the overarching view of the SEC. That becomes very confusing, right? And comes back to the need for clear rules, clear guidelines. Wendy's sigh, I think, encapsulates this beautifully. It is as more and more information comes out, it's very easy to see why Coinbase and other firms in the US are confused because the people that they're dealing with from the SEC may share a view that is not more broadly shared at the SEC. Someone else may come in and say something completely different. And, and we have a back and forth where we can't actually get um, any clarity. We, we can't move forward. There are businesses like Coinbase who, you know, are publicly listed who are saying like, we were doing everything right, or so we thought, but now we're not, and now we're being sued. And so, I don't know. It's just, I want to sign now, Wendy. You're getting sued. That, I'm getting it, sued. I will give we're it to Will. We're getting sued. Everybody getting, getting sued. We're all getting sued. <laughs> we're all getting sued. No, it's no, just no. Say suing so. of the sue of the sue. A big lawsuit at the end of the show. So stick around for that one. Oh. Good news there. Maybe? Possibly. Uh, no, I agree with what you guys are saying. This reminded me of what happened with Patrick McHenry and Gary Gensler, I believe about a month or two months ago, when Gary Gensler went before Congress talking about uh, how they need more funding for the SEC. And Patrick McHenry really grilled uh, Gary Gensler at the time talking about ETH and saying, like, is this a security or is it not? And they went back and forth for quite a while. It became sort of a viral clip. And the basis of that, again, is like, is anything besides Bitcoin security in the eyes of Gary Gensler? Obviously, it seems to be a split house. I have one opinion. Some of the chairmen, such as Hester Peirce or Crypto Mom, definitely have their own opinion. And then there's this opinion from Gary Gensler on Bitcoin, where he said in multiple interviews that he thinks only Bitcoin is a non-security crypto asset. So that just makes it very confusing for all these companies who are trying to build in the space. Uh, we just continue to see tweets of people moving overseas because they don't want to deal with all the stuff that's happening within the United States. Zach? Yeah, there's just so much going on. Obviously, another day, another big action. You're alluding, I think, to the Hex case at the end of the show. We'll talk about that. Uh, but there is always there is always more. But you know what? We got to change gears. We got to get to the second story. That is Jen. Jen, take it away. Yeah, we're going to park the lawsuit news there. But after this story, we're just going to get right back into all of the lawsuits that you want to update on. So we're going to park that there. And we're going to talk about some exploits, another DeFi exploit over the weekend. Curve Finance saw $50 million 
drained with more than 100 million worth of crypto at risk due to a bug that is impacting Curve. So the token is down, I believe, more than 15% on the day now. Will, I'm going to toss this one off to you because this morning, everyone who was reporting on the story was like a little bit, we, we didn't have all of the information about what happened in this exploit. Uh, I don't know if you can break down the information we have so far. There's a bug. You tell us what's going on. Yeah, problems with DeFi continue. Uh, basically, it's the idea that we can build on chain different financial instruments and they'll continue to operate as long as there's no bugs and there's liquidity within them. But unfortunately, these things are made by humans and so there's always issues. The issue here was something to do with the Viper compiler. So Viper is a programming language at Ethereum, uh, that Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin invented quite a while ago. Not a lot of people picked it up because it was somewhat confusing and hard to operate with. And a lot of people chose to build in Solidity or another programming language of their choosing. So Viper hasn't been picked up too much. And they've been trying to sort of deprecate it because it's like, yeah, we don't want to keep using this. But some people are continuing to use it. And in these few pools here, so we saw they were using a part of Viper that was proven to be buggy and broken. And so once the Viper community knew about this, well, then that spread into the DeFi community and people figured out where these pools were and they went out and hacked them using a reentrancy attack, which basically is the idea that if I keep calling this pool and keep calling it saying like, is there liquidity in here? There's a way to pull out more funds that are actually, uh, you're supposed to be able to pull out from the pool itself. And it's a means of basically draining a pool. It's a, ton- it's a very old hack within the books. This has been done forever, uh, but it's very hard to figure out. And they do occur quite often, especially when the underlying code is buggy. So that's what ended up happening here. About 50 million was pulled. That led to a lot of different ramifications within DeFi, which we've seen time and time again, where a lot of these DeFi Legos are so stacked and interwoven that you do have contagion almost immediately. So for instance, in this exploit, we saw that Curve token CRV started going down in price because of the associated hack. People started not believing the Curve token, started selling it. And that led to positions in some DeFi loans starting to fall apart, which led to other parts of the market starting to take a tumble. So we saw the price of a lot of these tokens start to fall apart. Luckily, last night, it looks like the CRV token withheld enough to not force a lot of cascading liquidations, which was good news for the ecosystem. But definitely one of the toughest days in quite a few months, Zach. Composability. It's a feature and a bug, right? That's what you're saying. You know, composability allows for rapid innovation within the DeFi space. But then when some of those money Legos start to crumble, some of those foundational ones, like a curve starts to crumble, bad news for that Lego tower. And that is the thing with DeFi. And I think really zooming out, this is like potentially a crisis of confidence. Curve is a very foundational pillar of DeFi liquidity. And if Curve can suffer an exploit of this magnitude, I think a lot of people are going to maybe be like, uh oh, like that's not good. You know, Curve is a huge place for stablecoin liquidity and more. And to see this happen is not a good look for DeFi, given that, you know, we keep seeing these challenges. And Curve, I think to date, has largely avoided. Could be wrong. There could be some earlier uh, exploits in its history, but largely avoided some of these big headlines around bad news. Yeah, it's just really bad. Like DeFi, I think, needs to mature, needs to get to a place of more confidence and more security in the broader sense there for people to start transacting on chain in the way that crypto diehards really, really advocate that they should. Again, there was all this triumphant sort of chest thumping after the FTX implosion, like, oh, this is going to push everyone to DeFi and all this exchange functionality is going to be on chain auditable, real-time. It's going to be great. And yet, we keep seeing some of these big bugs that happen. And I think this is, again, 
another part of that broader narrative that keeps people scared to try out some of these services that are actually quite cool. But it's a thing. It's definitely a thing. Wendy, what do you think? Two things. Is this a Viper failure or is this a DeFi failure? And then the second thing is, as I told my audience, whether you're going to be using a centralized exchange to get some sort of passive income or you're going to be using DeFi for pooling or staking or whatever that is, use a moon bag, use disposable income. Don't leave your entire stack there because stuff like this can happen. I feel like DeFi is still in beta, just like Bitcoin is still in beta. And you don't want to lose your entire net worth because of poor risk management. So I think that's important to say that. But Will or Zach, because you guys are a lot more tech savvy than me, is this a curve failure or is this a Viper failure? Because it seems like there's two parts to this. It wasn't just necessarily curve. Yeah, I think here was a failure of Viper and the precompiler, which led up the stack, right? And that's a problem with all these DeFi things. If something in the base layer isn't working well, things up the stack are going to be possible to attack. And that's what ended up happening here. Thank you for clarifying, sir. It's a DeFi Lego. It's a money Lego when composability is a feature, but it's a money Jenga block when it's, it's a, a bug because it, it's then a it chocolate gets wobbly chip that fell out of the chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, that's a bummer, yeah. man. It's a bummer. Jen, we got to get you on the board. What are you thinking? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with everything everyone has said. Um, there's a report that was published on Coindesk earlier today that said July is tracking to be the worst month for DeFi exploits this year. I think it was like over $300 million have been lost to exploits in just July alone. So I think that the data underscores what everyone has said. We are still very early. There's still a lot to figure out. And there's still a lot of these bugs that we got to better about our audits and our security if we want people to use these systems and we don't want to lose our money. And so you should go check out that report. Do that. Good stuff. Do that. Right. Go read well, it. Go read that story. Go Good read stuff. It. <laughs> Respect journalists. FTX founder Sam Bankman Fried continues to be in the spotlight ahead of his upcoming trial in October. Joining us now to discuss the latest in the ongoing FTX saga is Ermine Wong, found former head of policy at Coinbase and principal at ErmineWong.xyz. Ermine, welcome to the show today. How are you? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, the mouthful of the intro. Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. It's her mean no, will. Get it straight. It's not your fault. It's Will's fault. We're going to blame it all on Will because that's Don't what we do sorry. on the show. Don't say sorry. The first one was bad. The second two were pretty good. <laughs> okay. we got, I'll forgive you yeah. because um, you got dressed up for the show, as I understand today. There we go. Yep. Thank and you. he has a fresh new haircut. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So I want to talk about Coinbase really quickly. Obviously, we talked about at the beginning of the show, a lot of recent regulatory topics there. We're seeing a lot of move with the SEC here. What is your general uh, viewpoint from the SEC, Binance, and Coinbase, and what's going on between uh, those two entities and then the SEC itself? The Binance, the Binance case and the Coinbase case are two very different kinds of cases. So let's just be clear about that. That one is much more salacious than the other, one being the Binance case, and that's laid out fairly well in the SEC complaint. The Coinbase case is meant to be, I think, a walkthrough of crypto assets. Now, what we see in the latest development from Financial Times uh, is, and I'm just really going to quote Ryan Armstrong here, is that they had said delist everything, but they weren't willing to prove that everything else was actually a security. So as a business model, what should Coinbase have done there? It doesn't obviate to the general public either. So that's Another challenge is that if the SEC is asking Coinbase to delist everything but Bitcoin, but not giving the general public 
even notice of what it is that is so concerning about any particular asset. That's a very tough stance to maintain. It's a very tough narrative posture for the SEC. So not sure what the end game is going to be here for the SEC. I'm as curious as you are to see what happens next. I've got a question for you. I got to take it, Zach. I got to take it. So since you do focus on helping Web3 and crypto companies shape strategies around the current regulatory landscapes, it's got to be very, very complex. How do you think that this is going to translate over into NFTs or digital collectibles? Because let's face it, those, depending on how those are built, depending what type of smart contracts, utility, anything that they're doing, they can, they're very, I guess, ambiguous right now. I think you're absolutely right. I think that one of the challenges in terms of a narrative for the general population when it comes to NFTs is still a, an almost misunderstanding of what it is and the utility that it provides. And so I think anything that Web3 companies can do in articulating the diversity of the technology, what are the diversity of the use cases, the diversity of the utility, the diversity of the population using it, that's really going to help put some meat, some flesh on the bones so for the general public to understand it more past the crypto token here, crypto token there. What do those mean? Hermine, I mean, what's your view? I mean, I know that like, obviously the jury is still out on this, right? But what's your view on whether or not the recent sort of SEC crackdown is a direct response to the FTX implosion? Or if some of this stuff was uh, in the works uh, significantly before last November, I'm just kind of curious as to whether or not you see it as, again, a response or something that uh, Gary Gensler's SEC has been uh, building up for some time? I'm going to give you the typical lawyer response, which is it's oh, a little of man. both, right? Like, right. Um, it's a little of both. And you can see it actually in the way that the complaint was filed. You know, if you look at the Coinbase complaint, it seemed a little rushed in terms of the analysis of every particular coin. However, SEC did file the Ripple case back in December of 2020 under Clayton, right? So this has been brewing in the SEC staff's mind for a long time. The timing was probably a little more rushed than maybe staff would be comfortable with, but doesn't mean that this wasn't in some fashion. We're not exactly sure what fashion this might have developed independent of the FTX collapse. Okay, cool. So I want to get to this idea of enforcement fatigue. I mean, you also must be in a really interesting position with a lot of these clients, right? Because there's just a lot of competing, contradictory, schizophrenic even information out there in the marketplace that must be really hard for someone uh, like you to advise on. So I just wanted to get a sense for like, what is the current state of play with people that you are talking to? Are they pressing ahead? Are they, are they saying, we are so back, we're making this happen? Or is there still trepidation, caution? a freeze on the plans that may run afoul of current regulations? So I think that one of the helpful things about crypto winter is that it did narrow the field and narrow the ambitions of a lot of these startups, right? So they, they had to really crystallize what it was that they were seeking to launch in, that, in this period. By doing that, I think it afforded them some discipline in thinking, okay, these enforcement proceedings that are happening right now, how much does this affect the more narrow scope of business I had. And I think that right now, the most impactful thing that these companies can do is to, again, and I said this earlier, create a bespoke narrative. What is it that sets them apart, different? And that allows for a much more diverse view of the industry to come to the forefront to the general population. All right. We got to talk about FTX now. There's a new development with FTX every single Day. One of the latest is these diary entries that Sam Bankman-Fried allegedly 
leaked to the New York Times. Now we have the prosecution saying he should just be in jail until October. What's the likelihood that he is going to be sitting in a prison awaiting trial? Man, this this story is like a never ending pile of poop, right? Like we just can't think that you've like tied it up and then it just keeps on exploding. So in this situation, you've seen some of the transcripts from the court themselves and the court is already months ago was already reluctant to grant and continue SBF's bail because they're concerned that the government was being a little too narrow with some of the restrictions. And in the latest order from the judge, you even saw the judge kind of strike out some of the language where it indicated that the, that the government had drafted, right? That it indicated like these kinds of ex parte conversations that could happen, which might impact the tri- trial. And the judge was like, no, which might impact the trial. Forget about it. everything he says is a problem. He's not allowed to talk. This gag order is going to be all encompassing. So this judge has had enough of SBF. A reminder is that this bail that he has at $250 million, that is a huge amount of money. It's 25 times more than what Bernie Madoff had as bail at $10 million. Uh, The government has said how it's probably record-breaking. So I don't think that there's going to be any patience on the court side. It's worth remembering, though, I think, about why their bail was even granted in the first place and why the government allowed for it in the first place. Right back back when he was SBF was being extradited, the extradition proceedings happened very quickly. And part of that was probably because the negotiations were like, look, the government will not oppose a a bail request. Uh, so, you know, if you act like a responsible individual and don't muck things up for the judicial system, We'll let you have bail, $250 million, but you can get out. Tough nuts there. Okay, one last question for you. We've been seeing a few uh, notes about the FTX bankruptcy group going forward and trying to claw back funds. What is the possibility of going back and clawing funds from sports teams, from possible donors, from different foundations? Well, we've already seen that John Jay had already requested that don't the campaign donors um, have a way of giving back funds, which I think narratively made a lot of sense. What are the chances that they'll get these funds back? It's it's really unclear. I think that what we do see, though, is how far reaching the FTX bankruptcy proceedings are right now. And what I mean is that they just had their second report come out. They are now going against personally the entire executive team at FTX, including Carolyn Ellison, who's now in the news again for the diary leaks. So I think that we're not sure exactly how far it'll go, but I think that they're going, they're trying their hardest to pursue every single avenue. And there is not any door that they will not knock down uh, for the creditors. Hermine, I got to ask you, as an informed observer, and this has been a saga that has been, uh, you know, stretching out for what seems like ever now, what is your favorite detail in this whole thing that still you cannot, you can just not believe how rich it is? If you had to point to one, what would it be? There's so many. So yes, there are a lot. I will, I think that this pulled on a lot of threads. It was actually the order of restrictions on SBF's parents' phones. Um, you guys may remember that this came out sometime in the spring, but SBF had already done the whole VPN, pro, like, you know, trying to circumvent communications and talking to some former FTX US officials. And so 
they, they restricted him, but restricted him because they just don't even trust his parents guardian of their own phones. And so his parents now have restrictions and these are, you know, Stanford law professor, Stanford's a top three law school. It is, I think that that's one of those bonkers things that's got to also just be so painful as a parent to have to live through. A worthy candidate so much. We'll leave it there. Hermine, thank you for joining us to talk policy and FTX. Quick shout out, developing news. Hart, Richard Hart and Hex were sued by the SEC. Wanted to mention it. We'll talk more later. I'm Zach. We got Will, Wendy, Jen. We'll talk to you later. Bye. It's The Hash. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.